it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, here's a little bit of F1 trivia. Did you know that the Australian Grand Prix was once held twice in a row and that the same driver won both races? Yes. How boring is that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to interrupt, Tom. Well, let me continue. The 1995 Australian Grand Prix was the final race of the season. It was held in Adelaide in November. Do you know who won that race, Damon? Uh, In Adelaide? Yeah. In 1995? Of course I know. You know, and I know. (laughs) Because fast forward to March 1996, the Australian Grand Prix was the first race of that season held in Melbourne. And the same driver won that one as well. Who was it? It's the same guy that won it in Adelaide the previous November. Basically, it was me. Yes, I won the last Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide and the first Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. And the Adelaide was the last race of the season and the Melbourne race was the first race of the season. And if we'd had a race... Two years ago, because if you missed two Australian ones, it would have been the 25th anniversary, 25th race. So I went to Australia, all expecting to celebrate 25 years since they had their first one. And of course, it didn't happen. So now they're celebrating the 25th Australian Grand Prix, even though it's 27 years later. Yeah. And you're not going. Um, And I'm not going. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. Welcome to F1 Nation with Damon Hill and Tom Clarkson. We've had some fantastic races, haven't we, already? I think Formula One is in a really good place at the minute. You've got Ferrari winning the first race of the season, Red Bull winning the second race of the season. Nothing to choose between those two cars. Verstappen versus Leclerc. No, there's nothing. There's absolutely right. That is the miracle, isn't it? it? Actually, it looks very much like they're evenly matched at the moment. I mean, there's some subtle differences, but you have got a kind of clearish after two races you've got clearish kind of potential c- title contenders in Charles already and and Max i know that Sergio had a fa- did a fantastic pole lap I- in Jeddah which was which was really heartening and and also you know the first mexican ever to get a pole position uh, in formula 1 and and the guy looked so happy and i was really happy for him because i'm a massive fan of Sergio i think he's you're looking at a lot of untapped potential still with, with Sergio, but he got uh, slightly kippered by the safety car, didn't he? Christian Horner said something interesting after the race. These new 2022 cars, he thinks, suit Sergio better than Max, and that Max is having to change his driving style a little bit, whereas Checo's just hit the ground running. And that sort of is being shown in the results. I mean, Jeddah, for those, I mean, we've all seen it on the telly, it is unbelievably fast. And you've got to have a car underneath you that you have complete faith in to be able to drive around that quickly. And I mean, Checo's got it. And I think he's going to, he is going to win races this year. I've no doubt about that. You don't have to tell me how fast Jedra is. I've actually driven it in a 1981 
Williams. Was it 81 or 80? I did a parade lap before the, the race last year. That's right. In the, it was the FW07, wasn't it? Jones' championship yeah. winning car. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, this point you made about the driving styles and how I think the new cars, they seem to be quite secure at the back if you've got the aero right. And they're not as quite as pointy. And that seems to be the suggestion at the moment is that drivers who like a bit of a secure rear end, it's favouring them or giving them a bit of confidence. So the effect of driving stars is not really talked about much in, in Formula One. Recent modern drivers have been asked to adapt to the car rather than get the car to adapt to their style. So you see this played out with some drivers who get hideband. I mean, let's say Daniel Ricciardo, what is it he's not getting? We know he's quick, but there's something about the car is not feeding him the information. And some drivers like a pointy car, very nervous pointy car, and maybe that didn't suit Sergio last year. Driving styles are a huge influence on a driver's performance. Funny you should mention Daniel Ricciardo. He says something very interesting in the last week because, of course, it's been announced that we're going racing in Las Vegas in 2023. And he said, oh, I was going to retire, but I'm definitely going to stay around for this race in Vegas. The fact that he even mentioned that I thought was surprising. The, the, the R word, the retirement word. But Damon, look, we'll come back to driving styles and everything. We're going to look in more depth at this weekend's Australian Grand Prix. But let's just focus for a second on Vegas. I mean, Damon, are you excited? Las Vegas 2023. We've all seen the hangover. Is it going to be as mad as that? Oh, I mean, you know, America does shows better than anyone on Earth, as we know. And Las Vegas does it better than anywhere else in America. Um, you know, it is the entertainment capital of the world. It's and Formula One has been trying to get in or get back for, for ages. We didn't really make a dent last time we went there. We kind of, they put us in a car park, didn't they? Somewhere out in the, in the you know, outer reaches. And now we're on the main strip, I think. We're, we're almost virtually downtown, right in the centre of it all, uh, in the middle of Las Vegas. So it's going to look spectacular. Why don't we talk to someone who's been there and actually driven the new track, driven along the strip, the actual bit that we're going to be using in November 2023. I'd like to welcome Lawrence Barreto, who is F1 correspondent and presenter. Lawrence, you've been there. How good is this race going to be? I think it's going to be incredible. I've never been to Vegas before, and Vegas is something else entirely. And then you add a Formula One track. Not only that, down the famous strip, it's going to go down there for two kilometres, past all these famous hotels we watch in movies. I was in a, an old uh, 1961 Cadillac, so that was pretty cool. Had a police escort to take me around as well. It was a pretty phenomenal out-of-body experience. And you came back with all of your teeth intact. There were no <laughs> tigers in your hotel room, no, none, nothing like that going on. Disappointingly, no tigers in my hotel room. I didn't wake up on a mattress on the top of a roof of a hotel. <laughs> um, it was all very tame on that score. Um, I didn't lose any money as well, so that was good. But I had a I had a great time in a place where it's just going to be one big party, I think, as much as a race weekend. Do you think Formula One can actually take over that city? Because I, I always think that the races that really work for Formula One, the Melbournes, the Monacos, the Montreals, Formula One is the only game in town for that weekend. Do you think it can achieve that status here? I think they want it to achieve that. I think the stakeholders in Las Vegas, the hotel owners, uh, the governor, they want Formula One to come to town to make it 
the greatest sporting city in the world. And I think they'll probably try and do everything that they can to make it work. I think there's something like 150,000 hotel rooms in Vegas. So there's plenty of space for everyone. And everywhere, if you get a good view from like a, a terrace, a balcony, a hotel room, you're going to be part of the experience. And even if you're not watching Formula One all the time, there's so much else to do that I think you'll still just generally get a good experience out of it. How come you were going around to the Cadillac? How did that work? And, and getting a police escort, was that... Was that part of the demonstration of the circuit? Because it's Lawrence Barreto, Damon. Oh, no, it's Lawrence Barreto. But, I mean, this is... I'm coming with you next time. They heard I was coming to town, Damon, and so they just put the police escort on anyway. Um, we were So we were filming a hype video for the launch of the event in Vegas. So myself and Nicole Briscoe, who's a ESPN Sports Centre anchor, uh, we just took a Cadillac around. So it was a... It was a budget a uh, big budget film should we say where we had a, a look around the place they got the vintage car we went out into the desert to do some filming i did some mimicking of those shots of um, oceans 11 when you're walking up and down past the fountains and the shadows and the idea was just to give a flavor of what las vegas is like all of those lights as you're driving down the strip obviously i was hitting traffic light after traffic light after traffic light but with the drivers, all of those lights, it's going to be quite an assault on their senses, I think, as they're, as they're flying down there. And the city just never stops. That's what I found. So it's actually quite exhausting being there. So I think just the whole race weekend is going to be a challenge on a, on a mental level as much as a physical level. What about the layout um, in your Cadillac? You did drive it, didn't you? I drove most of it. Um, at the time, we, there was a couple of corners where they weren't quite sure which way it was going to go so the final layout wasn't designed when we were out there but i drove most of it and i'm glad they're resurfacing it to be honest because it is bumpy um it's a major city obviously there's there's tons of traffic and there's potholes everywhere so they need to give it a good smoothing out um of time but in terms of the actual circuit great overtaking spot down the end of the strip there's like a left right chicane after two kilometers at full speed they hit i think over 220 miles an hour so that's a great spot there. And then there's a quite a cool little section around where the Wynn Hotel is and the golf course is there. There's like a high-speed section before you pull onto the strip. So it's there's not many corners, but it's going to be high-speed. The teams will bring their low downforce packages. Um, so you'll see like a Monza spec, Spa spec type setup. It's going to be super fast, like Monza level fast. So visually, it's going to look pretty cool. Is the track going to be a, a, a circuit that it's going to be challenging for the drivers, do you feel, having seen the layout? Um, you said it's very fast. I mean, is there any suggestion they're going to kind of change parts of the uh, of Las Vegas to provide some sort of, like in, like in Mexico, they have that uh, arena section, for example, where you can get lots of people. Is, there, is that, that going to be part of the circuit? Yeah, so, there's, so corners one, two, three, and four, they're going to have to build from scratch. So there's some land there that's currently derelict that they'll build. But the rest of it is going to be streets of Vegas. I think what they're really lucky is that they've already got the grandstands, if you like, for which is the bars, the terraces, the restaurants, the swimming pool decks, the hotel windows. They've already got all of the viewing points down that strip. And to be honest, if you're going to watch the Grand Prix, you're going to want to watch it down the strip. In terms of the challenge for the drivers, I think that the biggest thing is going to be it's 10 o'clock at night. So from a, a, a mental level, I think being switched on at that time of night, like it is in Singapore when it's later at night, is going to be challenging. I think the nature of the circuit is it's not going to be super narrow, but it's going to be one of the narrower circuits on the calendar. So in terms of 
the having the capacity to always be focusing on what's going on that's going to be challenging i think in terms of the actual racetrack layout itself yeah probably not so challenging but i don't think they'll care because they're going to be in vegas and i think generally speaking they're going to be having a great time i hope the pit lane sort of goes through a casino or something that, you know. that, i mean that would be that would, would be, be cool awesome, wouldn't it, <laughs> wouldn't it? awesome I've heard they've got some pretty yeah. cool ideas for uh, the pit lane, but I, yeah, I can't really say any more than that. <laughs> oh, go on. They've got some quite cool ideas. So as long as they get the ticks for planning permission, I think uh, that's going to be quite a good talking point. And Lawrence, you've hit on something. We've now, or in 2023, we're going to have three races in America. We've got the East Coast covered with Miami. We've got, of course, Austin, which has been on the calendar since 2012. And then we're going to have Vegas. We've We've kind of got it covered in the States now, haven't we? Definitely. And then you've also in that time zone, you've got Canada, you've got Mexico, you've got Brazil. So you've got almost a quarter of the calendar or more than a quarter of the calendar in that time zone. And I think sometimes there was a lot of people talking yesterday about another race in America, but America's huge. So to have a race on the West Coast and on so on the East Coast, it's almost like the same as having a race in Britain and, and the other side of Europe. So I, I feel like it is important to have um, more races in America. The fan base there is clearly growing. We've seen that on Drive to Survive. We saw that in the number of people. Tommy, you were there on the ground in Austin last year. The atmosphere, I've never seen anything like it. It was incredible. And they were they were excited to be there for the Formula One, not just the concert. So I think the atmosphere and the interest in, in America is growing. And I think it's great that we're capitalizing it on it. And Vegas, I mean, is there anywhere more iconic in the world than Las Vegas? I just don't think there is. People are going to watch it just because it's in Vegas. It's going to be wild. Lawrence, thank you very much for coming on the show, telling us all about it. Sounds like you had a ball. Almost as much fun as Damon had when he went there in January. Sounds like he's running the Cadillac service as well, the limousine service as well. So I need to, we need to get, get his card. We'll have a chat before the race next year, Damon. We'll, we'll sort you out with some good wheels. Don't you worry. I'm, I'm sticking close to you, Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence, thanks so much. Thanks very much, chaps. Why don't we now talk all things Australia? We have another guest, Damon, and I'm delighted to say that the first time I went to the Australian Grand Prix, this man was making his Formula One debut. Uh, He's been on the show before. He's actually your doppelganger, I seem to remember. He's an imposter. He goes around posing as me. From what I understood, anyway. But in a career uh, which spanned 104 races with the likes of Arrows, Jaguar, Sauber and HRT, he's also been test driver for McLaren alongside Kimi Raikkonen, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso. And there's now he doesn't know about Formula One, quite frankly, and he's now the face and the voice of Formula One in Spain. It is a very warm welcome to Pedro de la Rosa. Hello, how are you doing, guys? <laughs> <laughs> now, look, we've just been talking about Las Vegas. Before we move on to, to all things Australia, just quickly, great news. Have you ever been? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've never been in Las Vegas. I have one of my daughters that is studying in Los Angeles. So this is great news for the family because we will uh, take the, the, the opportunity to go and visit my daughter and go to Las Vegas for the first time and, and have a great uh, well, to understand what, is, what Las Vegas means and uh, what type of city it is and uh, have some fun as well, you know. So I think it's great news to have Las Vegas. It's great for Formula One. It's a world championship. So it's great to be in, uh, in America, to have three races there. Let's move it on to Albert Park this weekend. What are we going to expect? Is it more Red Bull versus Ferrari? A bit of Mercedes thrown in as well? 
What do you think, Pedro? Well, uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, it's just a fantastic championship. Every race will be it will be full of surprises, really. However, if you look at what has happened in these last two races, the gap between Red Bull and Ferrari and the rest is quite big. It's uh, nearly one second. So I, I still will say, I would say it's going to be a continuation of uh, Jeddah, a fight uh, Red Bull Ferrari with, uh, with Mercedes and, and the rest probably getting closer. But I don't think they will introduce those changes that are needed yet. Having said that, it's already a bloody good fight, you know? I mean, four cars fighting for victory is something we haven't had for a long time. Is it four cars, though, or is it actually just Charles and Max? It's two plus two, I would say, you know, because at the moment, Charles and Max, as you could see, uh, we've seen in the last two races, they are just one step ahead. But I would not underestimate Carlos. He's uh, he's a very clever driver. He's very data-driven. He knows how to get closer, closer and work at it. So we'll see. And Checo, look what he, he did. He could have won the race. He put it on pole. He was leading. He opened the gap. Something that then Max or or Charles couldn't open the gap to to themselves, you know, between them. I think it... it, it Potentially could be for, for drivers and hopefully it will be, especially because I want the, the, the Spanish speaking drivers to, to kick us. I want Checo and Carlos to get into the, into the party. Pedro, we talked a little bit, I chatted with Tom briefly about this, which is that the new regs might have changed or suited a different driving style. And you're a good person to ask about this, having spent a lot of time testing and seeing how drivers, some drivers like a pointy front end and stuff. If these cars are a little bit more understeery with the aero, the way the aero works in it, it could make it more comfortable for drivers like maybe Carlos or or, or Pedro. 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 Yeah. Oh, Pedro, Checo. Yeah. Checo. <laughs> you're going to make a comeback. Actually, you're right. I mean, I'm going to take the opportunity to make the comeback and uh, make it public here in F1 Nation. Anyway, it's a good question, or, uh, you know, uh, Damon. I, I really think that, that the weight is a, has a big effect over the reaction of the cars. And it's a, they are more understeery cars, as you say, the aero also plays a, a big part. Uh, heavier cars uh, make uh, cars in a way more predictable when you drive them and they don't really separate the best from the very best. So if we want to see the best drivers shine, you need to go to lighter uh, Formula One cars. Why will the better drivers shine in a lighter car? Well, I mean, it, it's all theories. I mean, the best driver will always shine in it doesn't really matter what, what you throw at him. He will adapt faster. Uh, however, uh, an agile, a uh, very nervous car is always more difficult to take to the limit because you don't really know where the limit will be when you uh, empty the fuel tank and put new tires. It will be more difficult to keep on the edge, basically. It will become more pointy, less understeery, more nervous, possibly. So I would say that's that's the main reason. I haven't driven the, this new breed of Formula One cars, but I can see the onboard cameras and you can see like they tend to have a lot of understeer and the thing is for qualifying the drivers and the teams try to work into a setup that allows them to have a pointy car, a nervous front end in a way, but then they suffer it during the races. Uh, if you look at the Alpine car of Fernando in Bahrain, it was dreadful to watch in qualifying. It was very nervous. Then in the race, they had so much rear deck. So they, you have to balance that out. And this is the fight they're, they're having at the moment. 
a lighter car just uh, proves to be more difficult to drive and uh, best drivers adapt faster. I remember my dad saying when someone asked him about what's the difference between a Formula One car and any other racing car, and he said that they're just more they're more nervous, they're more on the edge, they're like a, a racehorse, you know, like a, a proper racehorse is very frisky and very nervous, and 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 that's that's the quick car. I mean, having driven a very difficult car alongside Ayrton Senna, I was having trouble, and he managed to overcome it. Do you remember when Michael drove the Benetton? It was a very nervous car, and all his teammates used to crash. But he, and you looked at the early onboard footage of Michael in the Benetton, his hands were all over the place. I mean, they were literally, it was a blur. Uh, the steering wheel was, was, he was working so hard, but he managed to stay on top of it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the onboard cameras of, of Max, for example, uh, in the past, when uh, his teammates were struggling to adapt to the, to the Red Bull, he didn't look they were working that hard as Michael in the Benetton, for example, you know. But as, as Damon says, it's just because these guys have a, a different sensitivity to what the car is going to do and uh, they can push it to the limit without needing to correct for the car. I mean, Max is extremely smooth on the onboard camera. Luis is extremely smooth on the onboard camera as well. And uh, they just have uh, this extra sense that is telling what the tires and the car will do eventually. And, and, and a heavy car gives you more information during a longer time at the same corner. And that's why the not very best find out that limit because they have more time to think about it during the corner. You mentioned Lewis Hamilton's name. Given everything you've just said, how do you explain his qualifying in Jeddah a couple of weeks ago? He qualified 16th. What was going on? I think that uh, he proved to be human. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, it was just a bad day at the office. Is that what you're had, saying? Yeah, he had uh, a bad day in the office. I'm not saying a bad day driving in the office, but a, a bad day taking decisions in the office as well. You know, they push it too hard on the on the on the setup, and uh, they went too too far. Uh, he didn't have the best of the of the qualifying sessions as well. You know, there were a lot of red flags, and uh, he had the, the the medium tire initially. He didn't get up to temperature. I remember when he asked over the radio. Uh, I mean, he was told that George. Uh, his teammate was uh, purple in sector one and he was seven tenths off already. So I think that, that they panicked, they went into the soft tire and uh, the time was not coming. So he had a bad day in the office, bad decisions really, but uh, they were trying to explore the setup. It's part of the game. We, we have seen Luis since 2007, which is always fighting for Q3, you know, on the top five. And we think that's going to last forever. But if the things are not right in a demanding track like Jeddah, even the best struggle. And this is the beauty of Formula One. It was unusual, but how, how well he recovered was also really, really nice to see in the race. Knowing him as you do, Pedro, you know, having worked alongside him at McLaren for years, if Mercedes don't get on top of it this year, how do you think he's going to react to that? Ah, difficult one, Tom. I think that uh, he's uh, proved to be extremely mature. His reaction to the beginning of the season, how he scored uh, points in both races, even if it's only a tenth, just proves that he's, uh, he's pushing as hard as ever. I mean, when he made it to the podium in, in Bahrain, I, I haven't seen him as happy as that, possibly only when he was world champion. You know, I mean, we've seen Luis win many Grand Prix where he hasn't been as pleased, as happy, 
as he was uh, with the third position in Bahrain. So this just proves that he's he's a team player. We'll see. We will see the best out of him, you know, during this season. I would say, and we are seeing a guy that is fighting. He's one of the unique drivers, uh, or the, the the only drivers that I've seen saying, "I'm sorry to the team." I mean, a seven times world champion, you know, ap- apologizing to the team after qualifying. All I'm saying is that I love racing drivers that are critical with themselves. They are not blaming their equipment every now and then. Luis is one of them and he will come back. He's uh, as motivated as ever. Imagine that they don't win again this year for whatever reason. He will still stick with the team and become a great team player. Did did you ever say sorry? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, yeah, I did, I did say it many times, but mostly you, you say that when you crash. <laughs> yeah. <No? Hey>, <laughs> and you say a few other things as well. <laughs> Pedro, you never crash. Oh lord! I'd... You know, my last ever crash in Formula One was with uh, HRT. It was in the Valencia Grand Prix. I made a huge mistake. I crashed, and uh, what it was really, really. Uh, dangerous was the fact that when i crashed i pressed the the restart button like if i had crashed in the simulator this was a moment where i'm saying uh this is this is wrong you know i thought it was uh, i could restart the car like uh, when you crash in the simulator but it was a real crash (laughs) oh so yeah it was it was shocking and sometimes when i see these youngsters crash i think that they might think as well, have the same feeling I had, that they could restart and, and, and keep going. But reality is crude. Reality is reality, isn't it? I mean, we, this is uh, it's an interesting point you make. The whole simulator thing is, um, you know, I do wonder whether drivers that spend a lot of time on the simulator are able to almost imagine that what they're doing is not real. And in some ways, you know they ought to they ought to realize it's real uh, and the only way you know that is when you actually have a pro, an actual real crash absolutely uh, agree 100 percent. i've seen for example luis adapt to new tracks in the simulator which is exactly he has the same approach as, as adapting in the in the real car in the at the real track so if uh, if for for example i it took me like uh, several runs, remember in Abu Dhabi, when Abu Dhabi was new in the simulator, we went to the McLaren simulator and I spent the whole morning just uh, checking the, 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 the graphics, uh, learning the track, uh, setting up a lap time. And I remember Luis arriving at lunchtime. He jumped into the simulator. I had been several hours. I mean, let's not get this wrong. Uh, in the simulator, I was pretty happy with where I was and the circuit, everything. He jumped into the simulator and he said, is the first corner to the left or to the right? And I said, man, you didn't check the track map. And he said, no, I didn't. I said, it's a left-hander, the first one. Third gear, left-hander. Tom, after three laps, three laps, and I was there, he did exactly the same lap time as I did the whole morning. This is this is for real, you know? I mean, I, I'm not saying it in a... I'm not really proud of it, you know? It's just that... He he blew everyone away. Pedro, I, he'd I was... been practicing. He had that was a focus. I'm sorry. He's been he was away and he was thinking, I'm going to go into the simulator. I'm going to blow Pedro yes. away. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to pretend and I, I don't but, yeah. know whether it's left or right. Yeah. Damon, Damon, yeah. hey, hey, be careful what you say. He he didn't blow me away. He equaled your time. I mean, he, he equaled my <laughs> okay. time. It's but a subtle funnily difference. enough, he didn't beat my time. Well, we we basically did the same lap time for the whole whole day you know which it was it's just that the, the fa- how fast they get to the limit 
you know, under normal circumstances, I could match his lap time. The problem is when the tires degrade, when you have more fuel, when the, there is a, a bit of rain or one corner, uh, there's, it's, it's windy on one part of the track. He, Luis, will adapt faster. I mean, Luis or Fernando or Max, Charles, you know, they will adapt faster. So that's where the, the difference comes from, you know, or you put a new set of tire, you know, there's more rubber at the track. They will pick up the extra grip. Uh, it, it would have taken me uh, two more laps, you know, which is obviously you're losing the peak of the tire. It's the beauty of, of working with guys like them. They are really, really special. Well, look, they've all got a bit of a new Albert Park to to get used to as well. So it'll help someone, you know, like Lewis, given everything you've just been saying about uh, the simulator in Abu Dhabi. What kind of track is Albert Park? What kind of a driver, what kind of a car does this place suit? Yes, I mean, I, I've been watching all the simulations and uh, also the, the, the some onboard cameras that uh, have been on the Internet. Uh, it, it looks easier to me honestly, because, you know, the, the 9, 10, uh, all that area, you know, that chicane is uh, obviously, it's not anymore. And it was a very tricky corner with a bump going in. My first ever uh, off was in uh, the braking for, for 9. So it was uh, under braking. Well, in the arrows back in 99. Yes. yes. So I lost the, the, the rear end just breaking into that corner, ended up in the gravel. So it, it, because there was a big bump there and it was an added issue, you know, to for the setup of the car. So I'm not sure how bumpy it will be. It looked a bit uh, from a driving perspective, there's less corners. So it's eventually, I think it will be a bit easier. However, it is uh, the faster apexes of the chicanes will make it more complicated, a small mistake, and you will be in the wall. Turn two, for example, it's, uh, just has a very close wall there. So I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I think it will be a very similar setup, car setup to the past. It won't change that much. Typical circuit where you need good braking, you would need good traction, possibly a bit more high speed downforce now. But all, all in all, it's going to be a Red Bull Ferrari track. I mean, there's no, there's no question about that. I'd love to see Haas getting back up there. Yes. That's the good news story for me this year. Bit of Haas, Kevin Magnussen in the points at the both races so far. Yes, but Tom, I mean, what, one thing about Haas is that they are back where they, they used to be. You know, it's it's like we've kind of forgotten that they were there. I mean, it's just that they decided to disappear in uh, last year just to try concentrating their efforts for their comeback. They have a better engine this year, so they are in a stronger position. But I wouldn't say they are where they weren't before. Uh, they were very strong in the in the past as well. Uh, I remember Grosjean qualifying seventh some 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 races as well. Uh, they were pretty unlucky in, the, in some races. Uh, they could have uh, achieved uh, podiums or, uh, you know, they're a good team, full stop, and they have uh, strategically taken the right decisions for this season. Let's see how they develop the car. This is the the, the reality now. A lot of questions have been asked about the power units because actually the Alpine um, power unit doesn't look too bad. But, you know, Ferrari definitely have done something right, haven't they? And and the Red Bull powertrain, as it is now, is also strong. You know, have have Mercedes been caught out by these new, new either, the, either the new fuel or something? That was another question that was thrown into the pot. And uh, they certainly don't look 
the strongest, do they? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, there's so many things that are going on in the background of the power units that we don't know. It's And one of them is reliability. You have three power units for the whole season. How many teams are planning to really use three? How many, well, teams, how many manufacturers are really using or, you know, planning or they're planning for maybe and running the engines uh, a bit harder. Maybe Mercedes is the only one that wants to do and is capable of uh, doing using only three power units. We, we, we really don't know. I mean, as instance, you say Renault. Renault have, seems to have made a good step forward on the power unit on performance, but Fernando used his second power unit in uh, in, uh, in Saudi Arabia and he didn't he did not finish the race. So uh, let's see let's see whether the Honda or the Red Bull power unit is uh, also the, the Alpha Tauris have had issues in the past few races and where the where the Mercedes are and the Ferrari especially. So it will be an interesting one. You know, I, I think that Mercedes has the power. They just are running the engines in a very different uh, mode, just uh, more uh, conservative possibly and uh, to, to gain reliability. Look, a couple of other talking points as we go to Melbourne. Um, Vettel's coming back. Sebastian Vettel, first race of the season for him. He must be thrilled about that, given the pace of the Aston Martin in a minute. Well, I think that he must be he must willing to come back and, and help the team develop the car and, uh, you know, feel again healthy and, uh, and, and uh, strong. It was funny that during the Barcelona test, you know, I had COVID, so I couldn't attend. And on the last day, I, I was negative. I was feeling good. So I went to the track and I, I saw Sebastian and uh, I had lunch with him. So then when he had COVID, thanks God he had it, you know, like two weeks after uh, my meeting me. Otherwise, if he would have caught COVID, uh, the, you know, a few days later, I would have felt that maybe I was not negative enough or whatever, you know? So, but I, I, I know in Sebastian, he is fully revved up and he's, he, he will, he will want to help, help his team come back, you know? And uh, I, I also would not underestimate Aston Martin and all the people that are working there. It's a great team that will come back. Completely agree with that, but I think they're in a, a difficult place at the moment. I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, we, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be overnight, but let's see. You know, I have full confidence on that team and uh, the people. I know Martin Whitmarsh very well and what he's capable of. So, and Seb is a hard worker. You know, he's the guy that he's pulling every string, trying to get all the performance out of the organization. So he's a great asset for, for Aston. Now, next up on the show, we've got a special Australian Grand Prix section, our quick fire quiz. And I'm going to fire a few questions at you two. Damon, are you ready? Yes. How many times did you win the Australian Grand Prix? Uh, twice. Correct. 1995, 1996, as we talked about at the top of the show. You've got a good memory. Uh, Pedro, what was your best finish in Australia? Sixth. On your debut with Arrows in 99, finishing ahead of Michael Schumacher as well. I feel we should just throw that in as well. Thank you. Now, I know listeners are probably thinking, how did Damon get on in that race in 1999? Damon, can you remember? 99? Um, oh, don't tell me. I don't know. I mean, ugh, not good. Damon Hill, I think. It is Damon Hill that's gone off. Oh, 
already. Already has Dave. gone off already. <laughs> did I apologise? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did. Damon, it lasted 35 seconds. I'm sorry. Oh, to... Did I crash or something? That's terrible. That's not like me. Well, I think you and Yarno truly got to know each other very intimately at turn three. Oh, Damon, after all these years, now I have to say thank you for that. Because thanks to you, to your coming together with Yarno, I've, I've finished in the points. It's my pleasure, Pedro. I'm afraid I can't help you anymore, but I'm glad that it went to the right person. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now, look, final question for you both. Who was on the podium the last time F1 raced in Melbourne back in 2019? Um, uh, okay. Vettel, Luis Votas. It was that first, second, third? First, second, third, yes. Uh, you got two of the three correct, but in the wrong order. Hmm. Two of the three names correct. Ah, okay, then... Uh, Come on, who won the race? Who won I, the I, race? I said Vettel, so it's 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 not possible. So it's Luis Vettel. Ah, yeah, they lost to the. They had a, an overcut or something like that. So it was uh, or undercut, whatever. It was Luis Vettel Votas. You're obsessed with Vettel. No, Vettel wasn't on the podium. Was it Max? Max was on the hey. podium. Oh dear. There you go. Well, uh, Bet, uh, Luis Votas Verstappen. Nearly. Bottas, oh, Hamilton, dear. Verstappen, in that order. Well, Damon, you were very quiet there. I mean, I... I, I... <laughs> I was waiting for the right answer to come up and then I was going to say, repeat it. <laughs> Questions, please. Damon Hill, do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing? <laughs> well, I don't know even how to start answering that question, but anyway. It's the Williams leading Damon Hill. Some more questions, please. Damon, were you happy with the start? Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning Damon. You must be satisfied. Any questions? Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps. Damon, it looked like he had it really under control. Some more questions, please. Damon Hill has done a fantastic job. Right, now it's time for Ask Damon, Tom. So, uh, let's see what they've got. Hey, Damo. Anthony from Brisbane, Australia. Listen, I hope this doesn't bring up old wounds, but given you've driven on both tracks, what's your favourite Australian track between Adelaide and Melbourne from a purely driving point of view? Damo? Damo? Damo, yeah. Yeah, sometimes people call me Damo and they're trying to be familiar. And of course, as we know, Australians are very familiar and they like to give you nicknames or shorten your name. So Damo's fine. Coming from Anthony from Brisbane, that's absolutely fine. I'll accept that, Tom. Not from you. Okay. <laughs> so you can call me Damon. All right. But um, so, yeah, which is the... Now, this is putting me on the spot. It's a totally unfair question. They were both good tracks. They were both good tracks. I had, uh, obviously, a couple of famous uh, experiences with uh, the one in Adelaide. I think the first time I went there, I, I found it a bit tricky, the big curbs, and but I love that long back straight and some pretty heavy braking at the end of that straight. And I, uh, we had the active car there when we first went there as well. So that was fun driving that circuit. And uh, uh, obviously the 94 incident with Michael was, uh, it didn't really affect the way I felt about the circuit. The circuit was good. It was tough uh, and a, an exciting track. Um, but then we went to we went to Melbourne. It was um, you know successful first outing for me, so I won the race. So I've got fond memories of Melbourne. To drive, they're slightly different, but um, yeah, great atmosphere, both circuits, uh, not a lot in it between them. They're both great tracks. No, that's not good enough. Anthony said, which one? Demo. Demo, Demo, which one? 
I'm not going to answer your question, Anthony. I'm sorry. Next question. Pedro, I know you never raced at Adelaide, but uh, go on. Just tell us the merits of Melbourne because we're going to say Melbourne. I think F1 Nation believes in Melbourne right now. I, I'm, I'm not, I cannot compare. I mean, I, oh, see? but I, see? All, I'm say, all I say <laughs> is I love Melbourne. I love the atmosphere, the, the people, the city. It's a dream. When I first ever arrived there in 99 for my first ever Grand Prix, I was in heaven. I thought it was the most, the coolest place. And I, I remember telling my wife, uh, the day I retire from Formula One, I want to come to live here. You know, and it's something that in the future I still want to do. I love Melbourne, let alone the track. The track is great. It's good. There's good overtaking places, but it's just the atmosphere, the people. And I love, I love, I love the place. Let's go to question two now. What do we got? Hi, Damon. This is Jens from Amsterdam. Long time F1 fan. Uh, I think I, my first season was probably 90. 394, something like that, when Michael was winning and Senna was still racing. So I've seen you win the world championship, and it was a great year to watch. My question, however, is in your entire tenure uh, within Formula One as a driver, who was the biggest prankster, jokester? Who was the guy that was always making fun? I've read stories about how Jordan was always a fun team to be around with practical joking. And Eddie Irvine has a reputation. Are there some other people that, that you could name fall in that category? Thanks, Damon. Thanks, Jens from Amsterdam. Um, yeah, it's a good question. There were some famous drivers who got quite a lot of notice for their pranks. I think PK was kind of famous for doing the odd or prank with rubber chickens and stuff in the cockpit and uh, he, he's apparently he sat on the he sat he said I've got a terrible lump this seat there's something wrong with the seat and the, the guys sort of went in to try and find out what the problem was and they pulled out a rubber chicken so um, that's all fine if that's, what, if that's your sense of humour um, but uh, famous one was Gerhard I think who, um, who who did all sorts of pranks on, on Ayrton that were kind of serious actually I mean he you know he did some stuff which was not funny uh, like throwing Ayrton's briefcase out of helicopter and stuff like that you know especially when he's got his passport in it and everything so that there's people who go too far uh, but um there were some drivers I, I was a guy called um when i was racing called perry mccarthy who um I was doing the junior formulas with him and he was always up to stuff and uh, i remember him once didn't he didn't have a pass to get into the paddock uh, in in uh, silverstone so he turned up on a scooter with a box <laughs> basically shouting pizza for Ayrton pizza for Ayrton and just drove straight up to the gate and the guy let, let him in <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's quite ingenious Pedro were you ever on the receiving end? No no man never I think they were scared of me I, I was very serious I was uh, I was very different to the, the person I'm now I think I was taking it too seriously so I was I was no I was not that kind of guy I was a bit like Damon no <laughs> No messing around with uh, with Pedro, you know. It is a very serious business, Tom. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> All right. How about question three? Hi, Damon. This is Patrick in Dallas, Texas, originally from Chicago. I've been a Formula One fan for about 10 years now. Like many people around the world, I drive a car with a manual five-speed transmission. If an average Joe like me got into an F1 cockpit, would I even be able to make the car move? Thanks, Damon, and hit him straight. I'm guessing uh, Pat in Dallas, the hit him straight, maybe a golf reference. I'm not sure, but uh, or maybe you just want me to answer it straight. But yes, it's a, it is unbelievable uh, 
the the difference between driving a, a car just in our normal day-to-day experience and driving a Formula One car. I mean, just to get the thing started and, you know, press all the right buttons in the right sequences, uh, you know, it takes about an afternoon to learn all that stuff. But how complex is the start procedure then? I mean, could Pat from Dallas actually pull away from a standstill in a, in a modern Formula One car? Yes, I, I think he would be able as, as obviously, I mean, it's just uh, revving the the, the 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 engine as high as you could on the limiter, sitting it on the limiter, and just dropping the clutch. That that is the best possible way of of making a start with a Formula One car, and it does help a lot if you have any motorbike experience and have some clutch feeling, you know, with a motorbike. You know, I always had the clutch. I dropped the clutch from the left-hand side because that was the clutch of my motorbike. I mean, Damon, you have been a fantastic uh, rider, motorbike rider. I guess that mm. also that helped you a bit. Or it gave me extra confidence in a way. Yeah, do you know, I never thought about that. The, the hand clutch, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, actually... Come on, man. No, I mean, it's true. It's the same <laughs> on, on a motorbike, hand clutch. But um, no, I think that... The, People who are not experienced, would they be able to drive a car? Yes, they probably could drive a car. First of all, everyone would be very nervous because if you've got things like anti-stall as well. So suddenly if the rev drop too too low, the, the thing suddenly takes off and you have to know what's going on. So the, the, uh, the brain overload factor will be the biggest problem. So the amount of information coming in and being able to process that information as they're steering and driving at the same time is where these guys are just phenomenal i mean obviously they're familiar with their environment but i mean a a novice that's the biggest problem is that simply the information overload you know once you're out the garage and 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 trundling along it's a fairly simple matter of steering the thing but the problem is once it starts to build up speed the loads on the driver are so huge that normal human beings and i meet when i say normal human beings i mean even drivers who like like pedro who've been um sitting around for a bit you know who've used are used to these kind of things they just you don't have the neck strength you wouldn't have the body strength to be able to hold yourself up in the car it's just insane the forces it's difficult to, to describe you just can't describe the forces that are going through the body of a formula one driver when they're racing pedro would you know you're just sitting around you're just sitting around these days yeah. Be careful, Demo. Huh? Be careful. I'm, I'm still here listening to you. Maybe you're fitter than me. No, but... no, but you're right. I mean, the thing is, the biggest problem is that you're not used to it. I mean, if you look at Magnussen, for example, in the last race where they were taping his neck just in the sitting position, just trying to hold him straight. He was struggling in, in, in qualifying, Pedro, let alone the race. Yes, he was. Uh, he was knackered. And this just proves. And the problem a, a normal person would have is that because they cannot push the car that fast, uh, in the corners, they don't generate the tire temperature. So then the, 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 the tire is like a piece of wood and then you break for the next corner and you would eventually crash. So it is uh, it is terrible. I mean, I, I was uh, karting yesterday. We, I have a K set and uh, I had, after 15 minutes of running, my neck, I, I, I can tell you I had sore neck. I couldn't hold my neck. It's because you sit around all the time. See, you got to get out there in the gym, mate. You got to start doing some neck exercises. Two weeks ago, I was I, I tested the Formula Four in Valencia for two days. Uh, no, no yeah. problem with that. Oh. Hey, hey, Pedro, why? Just, just for the hell of it. I love to to keep uh, going, man. I mean, I, I just uh, I, my my nephew is racing in Spanish Formula Four this season, so I just try to set up the car or help to set up the car for the for the team. 
So I, I spent a couple of days in Valencia and uh, I had a great time as well. I mean, you, I, I feel alive again, you know, it's like a fantastic feeling. Pedro, if, if Gunter Steiner had got on the telephone to you before the Bahrain Grand Prix, I think, I think you would have said yes, wouldn't you? I would have said yes, of course. You know, you know, still, I, <laughs> why not, man? I mean, I still sometimes uh, uh, have nightmares. I, 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 like I have a phone call and uh, to jump into the car, I don't know the circuit. Like, you know, I have to learn the track again and I am nervous like hell. You know, when they call Nico Hulkenberg, uh, the, the night after I had a nightmare again, you know, that I was in Silverstone and I got the phone call and, I didn't have my earpieces correct, and uh, it, it is a very strange feeling. But I still, I still somehow feel that I'm, I'm, I could be there. Obviously, it's a stupidity because I'm, I'm too old, and uh, and I wouldn't be fit enough now. But <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I would be fit enough. I would need some testing to get my neck muscles again. But uh, maybe I, I would be very slow. You know, I don't know. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for those questions. If you've got an, any more questions for me, then record it and send it to askdamon at f1.com and then we'll be able to play it and listen to what you've got to say. Thank you very much indeed. Hey, Pedro, before you go, give us your top three for this weekend's Australian Grand Prix. Wow. I think it will be Verstappen, Leclerc, Carlos. Mm. In that order? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it, it, it can be either way. I mean, it's just so great mm. to see... Leclerc and uh, Verstappen fighting. Uh, it is, you know, I counted the amount, the amount of passes that they have uh, had between each other in the in the past two races. Hey, hey wait, stop, nine, stop, stop, nine. stop, stop. Oh, I was going to guess. Did he say nine? Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, Sorry, man. That's a lot, though, isn't it? That's a How lot many, in two races. How many would have you guessed? Uh, something like that, probably. But I, you know. <laughs> I've actually added it up myself, Pedro. <laughs> it's been brilliant. They've been racing so brilliantly. Uh, it's been great to watch it as well. I think the new clerk, the um, the race directors have basically let them know they're not going to take any, you know, silliness. So I think they've kind of cleaned up their act a little bit, but they're still racing hard, which is great. You've hit on something there, Damon. Just before Pedro goes, do you think Verstappen is racing in a different way against Leclerc compared to how he was racing against Hamilton last year? He is. Definitely. I mean, he's, he's racing like a true world champion now. If, if the question really is, yes, he's racing differently because he has to. He's defending the crown. He has to think about points. Uh, when last year, I mean, when at one point the Mercedes will come back and Luis will come back for sure. Uh, how will Max race against Luis? It will be completely the different, the different scenario. It's will, Luis will be the mm, last year's Max. So he will be super aggressive against Max and Max will be thinking more about the championship. He will be a different, different Max as well. You know, he will be racing Luis in the same way he's racing Leclerc. I don't think it's because it's Leclerc. I know him from karting. I'm going to change my, my approach. It's just that he's now, he, he, he's now racing like a true world champion. Yeah, I think he just actually touched on a very interesting uh, kind of uh, forward thinking situation with Lewis perhaps being able to race if they get the car sorted towards the end of the season. If he's not fighting for the championship, let's say the championships between Charles and, and Max a bit more, then Lewis is free to race how he likes. So Max will be 
slightly have to be a little bit more defensive, maybe, or both of them will. But do you remember also when uh, in 2019, when they were fighting in Austria and uh, between, uh, you know, the last uh, last few laps of the race uh, between Max and, and Charles, they were the two same drivers and uh, Max was extremely aggressive against Leclerc. He had nothing to lose. He wanted to win or nothing or lose, you know, so it was anyway, interesting. It's always great talking to you, Pedro. Thank you very much for coming on the F1 Nation and giving us your thoughts and your insights. And I'll see you in Barcelona when we go, because I'll be there. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Pedro. Thanks for your time, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, Damon, I think that's it for this week. We're going to be back next Tuesday. 12th of April for a review of the Australian Grand Prix remember to hit the follow button on your podcast app so you get our next episode as soon as it's released F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios 